The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Hello again and welcome to the sixth episode of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, 15th of April, and in this podcast you will find out more about the latest updates on the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, the result of the first round of the French presidential elections, the fine received by the English Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and the resignation of the German Minister for the Family. And as always, we will present to you with the best editorials and opinion pieces on the French elections and the relationship between the war in Ukraine and the media. And now let's dive right into the most important news of the week. The first of today's news updates focuses on the latest developments in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The war in Ukraine continues to claim victims and create refugees. According to the latest data from UNHCR, more than 4 million and 600,000 people were forced to leave the country. Another worrying figure is the one provided by UNICEF on Ukrainian children. The agency reports that almost two-thirds of the 7 million and a half Ukrainian children have been forced to leave their homes. Now let's move on to a recent diplomatic incident which occurred between Germany and Ukraine. This week, news broke that the authorities in Kiev would have refused the visit of German President Frank-Walter Steinmeier as they consider him persona non grata. Yesterday morning, however, the Ukrainian press president said that Kiev's government had never received an official proposal for a meeting from the German government. Steinmeier was supposed to meet President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kiev, along with the presidents of Poland, Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. Moving on to news from various European countries, countries, we now look at the results from the first round of the French elections, which were held last Sunday. The ballots rewarded the two candidates favored by the polls, current President Emmanuel Macron and far-right candidate Marie Le Pen of the National Rally Party. Macron and Le Pen earned 27.84% and 23.15% of the votes. The two candidates who won the first round will be competing in the runoff vote, which will take place on April 24th. The challenge of the two candidates is now to try and attract the votes of the other candidates from the first round, particularly those of Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who obtained 21.95% of the votes. Macron and Le Pen will face off in the days leading up to the runoff in a live televised debate on April 20th. Now let's go outside of the European borders and into the United Kingdom. This week, Prime Minister Boris Johnson was fined following the scandal of parties in Downing Street during lockdowns. Boris Johnson and other members of the government and his staff were fined for attending several parties held between 2020 and 2021, when the lockdown was in effect in the country. The parties were allegedly held at the number 10 Downing Street, the Prime Minister's residence and office. According to the British newspaper The Guardian, three more fines are coming for the Prime Minister, who is the first in the country's history to be fined while in office. Now back to Europe and to Germany for the last update of the day. This Monday, the Minister for Family Affairs, Anne Spiegel, resigned because last year in July, as floods hit the Rheinland-Pfalz region, she went on a four-week trip to France with her family, while floods claimed the lives of about 200 people. Now we move on to today's editorials. In the first opinion articles of the day, we will find out how the French election result was viewed from abroad. 
We begin with the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung. For Stefan Ulrich, the election results showed how radical parties are gaining more and more support in French politics. On the other hand, more traditional parties, such as conservatives and socialists who have alternatively ruled France since de Gaulle, instead appear only far behind in Sunday's results, notes the journalist. The political upheaval that began five years ago is now complete, argues Ulrich. However, the German journalist says that he is convinced that Macron will win the second round, but also points out that he has not managed to replace the conservative and socialist parties, which are parties that support the state. Despite his successes in managing European crises, the president appears to many French people as distant and unapproachable, states Ulrich. In his conclusion, he hopes that the Macron will be able to remedy his weaknesses as this would also benefit Europe. One certainly curious fact of this election campaign has been the almost total absence of Macron from the campaign. This aspect and its possible consequences on the runoff have been analyzed by Javier Carbonell and Bernardino Leon Reyes in the pages of the Spanish newspaper El País. According to the Spanish columnists, Macron's strategy was based on three pillars. The first one, shifting the government's fiscal policy to attract Valérie Pécresse's electorate. The second, the best campaign is the one that does not look like one and using the handling of the war in Ukraine to justify its absence. And finally, playing on the fear that the wolf of the far right is coming in order to mobilize the vote around his candidacy. Between now and the second round, however, we are in for a different campaign in which both candidates appeal to the leftist electorate, but adopting different strategies to do so. We will only find out in two weeks if Macron will find the winning strategy again or if the French citizens will bet on the wolf, state the two journalists in the conclusion of the editorial. The runoff between two such different candidates is reminiscent in many ways of the 2016 Brexit vote. This is the observation of Zoe Williams, a journalist for the British newspaper The Guardian. I want to tell the French, don't do it. But all we can do is watch the elections from the sidelines, is the eloquent headline of the British editorial. People often only care about their own country's election, William argues. So what could be the reason for this political parochialism, as the journalist calls it? Could it be the different electoral and political systems? No, the motivation is rather the fact that impotence is extremely painful. It's hard enough to believe that you can influence your country's politics, William writes, creating a sense of powerlessness. And it's even worse when you're following an election you care even half as much about in a foreign land. As much as we wish a neighboring country of ours wouldn't repeat our own mistakes, as it is the case with the Brexit vote, Williams concludes. You may have made every single mistake they're making, and yet your advice counts for nothing. The French vote was also commented on by the president of the European Democratic Party, François Bayrou, who said, It is an incredible refutation of all those who claim that the president of the republic no longer had the confidence of the French. The secretary of the PDE, Sandro Gozzi, also gave his opinion on the vote, stating Macron represents a republican and pro-European vision.
The second round of the comments of the day will focus on the relationship between the media and the war in Ukraine. Truth is the first victim of war, is the title of Colette Brackman's editorial, which appeared in the Belgian newspaper Le Soir. How can we inform ourselves about the broader context and maintain independence in the field so that our testimony is of value, the journalist asks. One must first study the history of peoples and countries so as not to land in unknown territory, Brackman argues. And then, set aside all the knowledge gained to prioritize the details seemingly insignificant, which will take their true dimension only much later, says the journalist. The reporter in the field places himself on the same level as the men, with journalists giving voice to the ignored victims and their suffering. Like a tailor, the reporter in the field weaves threads that perhaps will then arouse empathy, solidarity, trying to stay as close as possible to reality and to tell it. Fake news is also a new enemy of reporters, states Brackman. To fight them, journalists must multiply the sources, comparing them, including those of the adversaries, and then going to see on the spot, the editor concludes. Now we're moving on from Belgium to Italy and to the pages of the Corriere della Sera. For columnist Maurizio Ferreira, democracies are not always innocent, they are glass houses. Ferreira then goes on to explain, citizens have the tools to ask rulers to account for their actions such as free information. However, sometimes the glass fogs up, but when we notice it, we can clean it up. In all of this war, in this case, the war in Ukraine, acts as a fog. To conceal or distort the information that reaches the public is to artfully create a barrier that prevents the use of the very concept of truth, argues Ferreira. This concealing of distorting the truth is the cause of the weakening of critical capacity in the use of information. The manipulation of information Ferreira concludes, can even reach the point of becoming the first step in the direction of so-called illiberal democracy. For the last opinion piece of the day, we fly across the ocean and to the United States. In the Boston Globe, Martin Rook, a researcher at the Harvard Kennedy School, analyzes the distrust that young people have of mainstream information. A recent poll suggests that roughly half of American respondents under 30 do not sympathize more with Ukraine. The poll shows that young people have little faith in mainstream media. They appear increasingly likely to believe that institutions are using news to nudge popular opinion toward particular ways of thinking, writes Rook. Those under 30 grew up watching the war on terror on TV, and all that followed was developing a distrust towards the media. It is therefore necessary for everyone in the traditional media to work to recover the trust of young people, Rook concludes, even if this will require a monumental effort. And we are at the end of our already sixth episode of the podcast, The Window on the World. We will continue to closely follow European political happenings, such as the French electoral debate, the progress of the war in Ukraine, and many more. Research and writing for this episode was done by Daniele Ruzza. And behind the mic, it's me, your host, Alexandra Napanich. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, take care and goodbye. <laughs>